Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I think if I'm getting to a point where I'm going to die on a hill with a client, I probably shouldn't work with them anymore. I'd rather terminate a relationship versus like get in a knockdown, drag out fight about something. This kind of where I'm at. But I used to I used to do those fights and it's just not worth it. What do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, Vital Proteins, and Blendjet all have in common? Retention.com is their highest performing ROAS channel by far. Visit retention.com to book a demo today. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Cassie today. It's an exciting guest. She has worked with some of the biggest celebrities out there, um, and she could talk about that a little bit, but welcome, Cassie, to the show. I want to get this kicked off and say, give a little background. How did you get into marketing? How did you get to working with such big celebrities? And then we can talk about the topic today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. I always think that my start in marketing kind of dates back to me being an ultimate consumer in general. And at one point, I became an ultimate consumer slash super fan of music and really never kind of turned back from that point. When I was 11 years old, I saw the Backstreet Boys for the first time in concert and my life was changed forever at that moment. There was something really special to me about being in an arena with everyone being excited about the same thing, the same songs. It was fun. It was just an amazing experience. And I really fell in love with that. And that was the beginning of my career in music. I became obsessed with the idea of working in the music business almost like too obsessively where I was scared that I had no shot at it. So I, I feel like I overcompensated in terms of building my resume with I'm from Louisville, Kentucky and everything that you could build your resume with in regards to music with in Louisville, Kentucky, I did it. I worked with local bands. I found local record labels, local managers. I marketed national acts on a local level. I did everything I could to build my resume because I was so terrified of not being able to like live my dream and work in music. And that really set me up for success in terms of having a great resume that got me a job at Warner and eventually it led me down the path of social media and starting CrowdSurf, which was almost 16 years ago now. But I just consume music. I seen the artist I love in concert like over a hundred times. There's multiple artists I've seen over a hundred times. And that was like before I worked with them. So I've I've been the consumer and I still am the consumer. I'm planning trips this year to go to Europe twice to see bands that I love because they don't tour here. So I consume, I love, I live the lifestyle. And I think that's my biggest superpower when it comes to being a marketing person in the music business. I love that. I always say to people like for marketing in general, and this applies to social media is you have to have 
the great inputs to be able to have the great outputs. And the best creatives out there, it didn't come from luck. It came from how much they consumed great content. So what you did with consuming Backstreet Boys and the amount of times you've consumed their content that you didn't know how to help them more because you know you you knew what their music was you knew what their the environment you knew who the fans were you knew about everything because you were in that environment yeah absolutely i want to go into a topic that you are really passionate on and work a lot with your talent with is short form and long form video and the rise of that could you talk about the come up of short form and long form video, and then we could talk about like how to execute it in a great way. I like to look at short form and long form video really simply in at a basic level. And what always determines what's popular at the time is the hardware. So before there was television, we listened to music on radio because that was the hardware that we had to consume that music and you know vinyl players the record players vinyl because that was the hardware we had when television came into the mix music had to adapt to video because we had to have something that worked on a television and a lot of artists were actually super resistant to music videos the same way a lot of artists now are resistant to short form vertical content and tiktok and that sort of thing there, you know, now it's kind of, I feel like I didn't live through the era of making artists do music videos, but I feel like it was probably a lot of similar subjects in terms of why do I have to do that? I, I make music. Why do I have to make a video to go with it? I play live and I make recordings for the, you know, record player and for the radio. Why do, why do I have to do a video? I feel like we're having the same conversation now with a lot of artists where they're saying, I don't do that. Why do I have to do TikTok? That's not what I signed up for. But hardware and what people use have evolved. And when we watch longer form content, like music videos or movies or television or that sort of thing, we've always generally been positioned to be sitting on a couch or sitting with a laptop. So we're primed and ready to sit for a longer period of time to consume that content. And as people have been consuming more content on mobile phone and on the go, that's where we've seen videos get shorter and shorter and shorter because people don't, you know, so, I mean, I, I even do this. Some people do sit and watch video for a long time on their phones, but that's not really what like it's made for. You, you know, you have to hold it. It's, it's not, it's, that's not what a phone is made for, but we've seen video adjust to like how people use phones so I think video is always going to be informed by what hardware media devices are are in our lives. And, you know, we see more short form because of mobile, but people still do use televisions, screens, laptops, and that sort of thing. So there is a place for long form video content too. But I just think you, when you're creating content that's visual, I think it's always important to think about like, where do I envision somebody watching this? Is it going to be on Hulu? Is it going to be on TikTok? Is it going to be a photo that's on Instagram? But you, you have to think about not just what you want people to see, but where they're going to see it at. And I think that can inform some of the production and creative decisions people make when 
producing that content. The one theme that I got from all the channels that you just said in all the places is this is where consumers are discovering content. I mean, discovering the artist content. Radio was like the first discoverability of new content besides concerts. And then vinyl was the next discoverability. There was also vinyl, but the next discoverability. And then the next discoverability became MTV and music videos. And now the discoverability is like you hear that song on TikTok or you hear that song on um, YouTube or you hear that song maybe on a, a Netflix series. So like all these things are become this discoverability of new music and I think a lot of creators, even like going to like content creators, like a lot of them just think they need to create and just create what they're doing, but they don't think about the other side of it or how do I distribute this to get to where my audience actually is consuming that content. They think like, I'll just create great content and let my audience find me wherever I am, but they don't adapt to the distribution channels that exist in that time period. What do you think makes great long form and short form video? I know they're two different channels, so we can break down both, but what makes a great long form video and short form video? I know this sounds basic, but I think in one that both have in common is that there has to be a story, you know, a beginning, middle and end. Even when TikToks were all 10 seconds, I feel like you still kind of had to you have to have a, a plot or a turning point. You have to have a point that you're making. So I always think that's, you know, important. And and a point can be, it can be a one shot thing. That can be the point. But you, you have to have some sort of thought process and you have to think about what emotion do I want people to feel when they're consuming my content or the content that I'm creating. So I think that's something that's important in all types of videos, whether it's an hour, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, or 30 seconds. I think that's something that you really have to to think about. What is the consumer experience? And you know, distribution, like you said earlier, is a part of that. But what is the consumer experience when somebody's sitting down and watching this thing that I made or am currently making? And in terms of you know, what makes, let's see, let's get into short form video first. You know, what I think makes really good short form content, everyone keeps saying it over and over again, but, you know, authenticity is super important and especially content that's being made like sort of on the go, real time, on phones, that sort of thing. And by authentic, I just think that one sentence I use to define that is, did the person who made that piece of content make it because they wanted to make it or because they had to make it? And people can feel the difference now, especially when it's smaller production, it's a phone, you don't have the team around you to, you know, coach you through it like you do on a big television set. People can feel your intention. And if you're doing something for likes or doing something because you want to entertain or create art or help people it comes down to that you know being authentic is the number one thing in terms of you know long form content i think authenticity is still important as well but i just think 
long form is more screen time and it needs more planning. You have to, even if you're making something as simple as like a vlog of your day, you still have to sort of have a plan on, you have to have a shot list, you know, to a certain extent you need to have a plan for editing it, how fast you want to edit it, that sort of thing. I remember one time I was lucky enough to watch Jake Paul when he was doing those daily vlogs like where they would make a youtube video every single day those videos look so unplanned and like don't get me wrong there's room for improvising and for doing things on the fly but there is still a certain level of planning you know they're planning where they're going what part of his day is blocked for shooting and the thing i saw this is what i I thought this was brilliant you would see him make voice notes as he was shooting to send to the editor so that they the editor would know what to do and they actually used an editor in the uk so they would make the video during the day and it would get sent to an editor in the uk so it's you're using time zones to your advantage so that they're editing while you're sleeping and so it's ready to go in the morning because that's the only way you could really do a video that's you know 15 minutes long or whatever on an ongoing basis is to have a tight plan So always have a plan. Everything needs a plan, even if it's short. But the longer the video, the more planning you're probably going to have to do. The key of that voice notes is so crucial because I think a lot of people forget you can waste a lot of time in the editing process if you don't tell things up front like, hey, I'm in, could you cut out this part? Or you come, even with my podcast too, I just now to, we have things like you can mark certain clips on here where you do that. It's better to say to the editor, hey, on 12 minutes and 40 seconds, please like remove that or could you add a pause or cut out this or cut out that or this should go faster and this should go slower. Um, I love that. One of the quotes that I also heard from you going down this path I read it somewhere that you you said, which I love, is like influence and influencers you need to replace with how can I help, which I think that's brilliant. I think like so many people think that influence comes from like you can't aspire to be an influencer. Like influence comes from like you generally wanting to help people and you generally caring about people. You can't just wake up one day and say, I want to be an influencer. Could you go into that quote and why you said it? I I use the term influencer because it's so widely known and people kind of know what that means. But I've always had a problem with the term because I think people who have influence generally don't set out to have influence. And if that is your goal, that's kind of like being like, I want to be a dictator. (laughs) Like that shouldn't. You know, I want people to like me and do what I say. Like that's that's generally not really coming from a good place and that you can probably gain some success on that path for a little while, but I don't think it's something that's sustainable long term. But I think if somebody, you know, wants to quote unquote influence, I, I like to replace that word with help. How do I provide how do I help people? How do I provide value to the world? Because helping people and providing value to the world that in order to do that, you do influence, you make somebody's day better, or you make somebody not feel alone in an emotion they have, or you let somebody know about a important 
political issue that's also important to you. That's all influencing, but that also has really good intention and and helping people. And I think it all comes down to why do you want to do this? And I actually recently stopped working with an artist that I was managing because that artist, when I would ask that question, they would just say, I want to be a pop star. And I'm like, that's that's not a good enough reason to do this. Like, why do you want to be a pop star? You know, sometimes it feels like you just want Instagram likes and, and views and that's not the right reason to do this. And you're that's going to be a hard high to sustain if that's your motivation because you can't control likes, but you can control music that you're putting out. You can control the issues that you support and the actions you take to help those issues. Those are things you you can't control. One of the people you work with, Lauren, is probably one of the most followed people on the internet right now. What are some things that she does really well with short form slash like long form video? And what are some things that you've coached her up to get better at that have improved her self and for the long game? I absolutely love Lauren. And I, I knew of Lauren before I had the opportunity to work with Lauren I think that as I got to know her, I really liked her even even more because she really comes from a good place of why she posts and why she shares and why she wants to be in this field and why she wants to contribute to this field. But I think one of the things that is really great about Lauren is that she didn't wake up one day and decide, I want to be an influencer. She gained her popularity because she was using Musical.ly, which became TikTok, but it was using Musical.ly as a 13-year-old to make lip sync videos for her friends and with her friends. And she didn't realize that that platform, you could gain followers on it. She thought it was kind of like an external tool you use to make a video for Instagram. So she used it. And then I guess they featured some of her videos. I'm not really sure exactly what happened, but she like went back on that app one day because she was seeing a lot of traction on her Instagram and she didn't understand why. And she went on Musical.ly and had like 30,000 followers or something. But she was never trying. She was literally just having fun and kind of stumbled into it. But I think, you know, saw that the, you know, the impact that she could have with her platforms. And that's why she sort of continued on that road. And, you know, as I've worked with, you know, Lauren for several years now, I think that the biggest contribution myself and her team have made is to just let her to listen to her and let her do what she wants and provide a platform where she can do what she wants. She's been in so many situations where adults were were telling her what to do or what was best for her career, where I think everyone should have been listening to her because she obviously already knows what she's doing. But I think the biggest thing we've done for her is help her take that agency back and build her confidence so that she can finally be doing the things she wants to do on her own terms where she would get sort of in her head about it because so many people who quite frankly didn't know as well as she did had so many opinions about it. One theme that I, at least I'm getting from you is that you really believe in the creator's ability to create their own thing and you just being that guide to if they need help or if they have questions or something. Cause I think that's even with great, like 
influencer pro- partnerships or brand partnerships, the best ones are, hey, you know your audience better than us. Here's the brief. Do what you want that fits into the brief, but you know your audience. And the, the worst ones are, here are the guardrails. This is what you need to say. Don't do anything. And I think that probably happened to Lauren, like a bunch of people were telling her what to do. And then she kind of like lost her her inner self. I don't know. I'm just guessing her inner self because as a creator, that's the hardest part is like balancing brand stuff and other pressures from everybody else. And then also sticking true to your own creative ability and what you think you love and tool because it's a long game. You have that passion if you want to be in it for a long game. Absolutely. And you know, she would agree with you on the the brand deals scenarios that you just talked about. The deals she's like the best and the and quite frankly, the ones that have performed the best are the ones with the least amount of restrictions. And I get it. There's obviously like the brand's paying for it. They do should have some say in it. But I think the less say they can have and kind of let go of control a little bit and let somebody do their thing, the better off it's the content's going to be. And I've seen that with her, the brands that let her be creative versus like giving a really detailed shot by shot list that those are the ones that I think really won when they, when they partnered with her. Cause she, I mean, she might be young, but she's really smart. She wouldn't have that many followers if she wasn't. And I think people just need to not judge a book by its cover and kind of be like, you know, if I want to hire this person, they're probably smart. That's probably why I want to hire them. I should, I should just let the universe do its thing. Yeah. It's like any great musician or great athlete, or they started by just putting in the reps and doing things. And then they start discovering what works, what didn't work, what they are good at, what they're not good at and then also what resonates with their audience some get to the point where they know what resonates with their audience and what doesn't and then they that's the people who kind of make it out but it all takes reps and it doesn't matter what age you are or anything like that is she's probably put in 20,000 plus hours creating content like if you get all those reps you're gonna know what works for you even your artists that you work with they probably put in 20, 30, 40 hours of rehearsal and look reading their audience while they're singing songs and stuff like that. So it's just crazy when people assume that age or like the creator, you like they know better than the person who's been creating for their audience for that long period of time. Absolutely. One question I ask everybody in this podcast is, what's a marketing hill you would die on? I actually have a different saying about hills I die on because I feel like I used to die on a lot of hills. And I have a couple rules around that now. One is I advise the client once on what I believe is the right thing to do. If I really, really think it's really important, I'll push back one more time but it's ultimately their decision. And as long as I gave them the correct info and presented it in the best way possible, I know I did my best. And I have a saying that 
I don't want to die on a hill. I'd rather just build a new one. <laughs> um, but rarely do I get to that point. I think if I'm getting to a point where I'm going to die on a hill with a client, I probably shouldn't work with them anymore. I'd rather terminate a relationship versus like get in a knockdown, drag out fight about something. That's kind of where I'm at. But I used to, I used to do those fights and it's just not worth it. And, and the thing that's great about being a marketing person, especially if you have multiple clients, is if one person doesn't do something, a lot of times somebody else will. And it, I feel like sometimes it ends up being better that way. And it's almost like that concept or marketing idea was meant for somebody else. Yeah, I'll, I'll rephrase it a little bit. Like, what is a, a strong opinion that you have that is loosely held? Like, what is something that you truly believe? Like, not for clients, but like in working with influencers or working with your clients or that you've seen in marketing, like what is an opinion that you have right now that you feel really strongly with, but it could change over time? I think something I really strongly believe in is that I love being an early adopter of new tools or social media platforms has such a massive advantage and you know, the downside could be that you spent time using a new tool or creating content or joining a platform that didn't have an audience yet, but the upside is so huge if that platform goes. A lot of the biggest, most followed people on TikTok are the most followed because they were some of the first people there. A lot of the most followed people on Twitter, especially at the beginning, were the most followed because they were the first people there and they weren't afraid to use a tool before it was widely accepted. I think the biggest winners in social media are the ones who are open to trying a new tool that has potential and being okay if it doesn't work. But if you get in that, if you're in early and then something goes through that heavy signup phase like TikTok did in 2020 and you already had an established audience, you were getting recommended to be followed by people. You were you, you had probably had a golden moment if you were there earlier and already had some kind of audience. So I'm a very strong believer in early adoption with tools and platforms. If you think about your content as a product at the end of the day, you want to have like the most early mover advantage on that platform. Otherwise, you're going to be get in the classic marketing problem that everybody has is you get caught in the noise and you can't get enough attention. But you, you you capture all the attention on the platform if you're like the, the first 5% on that platform. Absolutely. Those are the biggest wins I've had in my career. I remember when Britney Spears was number one on Twitter. She was number one on Twitter because she was one of the first people to use the platform. Uh, you know, Lauren Gray was number one on TikTok because she had used it for several years as musically when in tw in 2020 she's the most followed person on the platform and it all comes down to like yes there are other things that those people do that are obviously important but them signing up at the time they signed up was a big part of why they were able to have those number one most followed spots on platforms like that yeah i mean all the ones that i could think are big started really early like charlie and Josh Richards and all these people. Josh Richards was a musically guy that became. So it's just interesting. The last question I have for you is if someone was starting their career today and they came to ask you for advice, 
what is some a piece of advice you would give them that they might come back a few years later and thank you for? One piece of advice that I was given early in my career that I think was super accurate and I still try to reel myself back to it is to not try to do too many things at once. Get really good at one thing and then you'll be able to have anything you want after that. And that piece of advice was actually given to me by Beyonce's dad, Matthew Knowles. And I remember it was really early on in starting CrowdSurf. And, you know, I told him like all the ideas I had, like I have this digital marketing company, but then I can do this nonprofit thing. And then I also want to manage artists. And he was like, do one really well first, and then you can have whatever you want. And I think I got kind of frustrated at the time because I was like, but I want to do everything and I am capable of doing everything. But I totally get why he said that now and i think that that works not just in business but in in a lot of other things too and like probably like renovating a house like focus on one thing at a time versus doing all the pieces at the same time or if you want to rehaul your look like don't do it you know it's hard to do it all at once maybe just do your hair first you have to like you have to put it in chunks or else you can get kind of lost and like no one thing ends up being great i mean i even think that applies to like creators like for me when i started like posting on linkedin like if i post on linkedin twitter instagram tiktok all these platforms at one i wouldn't have been like creating the best content on linkedin that i could once you've mastered that platform then you can start like and figuring out systems and processes to make that process easier then you can start hopping or if you get lucky and take Cassie's advice, and there's a platform that comes up, and you you want to be that early mover. But if there's that platform, there's a bunch of established platforms. Go with focus your energy on one or two. Don't spread yourself thin. Last thing I have for you is: where could people find you? Where could they find what you're doing? How could they follow your journey? Anything like that? The best way to actually get in touch with me is probably on Instagram DMs. I don't post publicly too often because I have a lot of thoughts on overposting on a platform like Instagram, but I'm chatting with people all day. So I'm on Instagram at Cassie Petrie. And then the other platform I use a lot is LinkedIn. So if you just look me up on there, you should be able to find me. Well, this has been great. Thank you for your insight. And I really appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.